is a special day today. It is a milestone that is worth celebrating, and we're so glad that you're here with us as family members are here to celebrate with us. My name is Jared Clary, and I was the youth pastor for the last seven years before we hired Jake, and uh, so Jake has now taken over, but for the last seven years, I got to walk with these students, and so I'm so thankful Jake gave me the opportunity and said, hey, you want to preach one? And I said, yes, I do. Jake said, can I preach one? And I would love to preach it. So I've already cried a lot this morning when I was walking through it, just reading it in my office. I was like, oh, no way. I'm going to need a few of these. <laughs> and then I preached it in the first service, and I was a mess. And But we made it through, and so I'm sure that um, we will make it through by God's grace this morning. This is such a special group for me. It's a very special group for me. Um, they were coming into youth, and so really they didn't have much to compare as far as youth pastors, which is a great thing. I couldn't wait, right? That was all they knew. And so it was great to walk with them, and we've made some, some really good memories. We've made some pretty awkward ones, but we got through them. We've walked through some hard times. We've cried together, we've hurt together, we have laughed until we cried, we have pulled some awful stuff out, some of us, parents y'all don't need to know, but more importantly, we, we have talked about the important things, we've talked about life, we've talked about the Lord, we've talked about God's promise and purposes for you, we've talked about talked about all the important things, and we've grown really close. I've had several conversations with people over the last few years about the, the dire existence of young people in today's world, and, and typically they have descriptive words like lazy, entitled, um, what hope do we have, right? This crew is different. They were there, but they've matured and they've grown up and, and we've walked life with them. And, and that's a huge thanks to many of you as parents, right? And to youth workers and to children's workers and to, to many people who have invested in their lives to help them see and grow and mature. But this group is extremely special, and they can't be compared to their peers. And so as I was thinking about how do I want to send them out, what do I want to leave them with, then I just kept thinking, I want your life to be exemplary. I want it to be exemplary. A word which means like that it, it can't be compared to the next, to the next, to the next. you to be beyond so this morning what I would love to do is I would love to walk through what I mean by that we've done some epic things as I kind of mentioned and so I wrote down a few of the different things that we've done together and 
and I want your lives to be epic for the glory of God, and, and we've begun to experience that, right? Like, we've done some pretty epic things. Kitty Pool Kickball resulted in concussion and disability for Kitty Pool. That's epic. That is not normal. Not usual. When are we going to play that? Never. Lock-ins? Jared, when are we going to do that again? Never. <laughs> Never. Actually, the response is when y'all read your Bible. Right? We, we've done pumpkin parties. We've done lake days. We've done summer drop-offs at many of your all's houses. We played Frisbee golf. Y'all kept losing my Frisbee. Yeah, go get it out of the water. We threw it, though. Right? You remember those? Many other memories. We've road trips. We Louisiana, Tennessee, Missouri, Georgia, Alabama, Arkansas. You put 50 people on the starter bus, that's epic. You drive up Covenant College, those roads, two wheels of the bus hanging off, that's epic. It's like, oh, man. We've done mission projects in Shreveport and New Orleans, Lake Charles. We've been to inner cities and confronted. We've been in women's shelters. We've been in schools. We've been in struggling neighborhoods. We've been in food banks. Countless other things that we've done. We've served the needs of this church. Rebecca's like, man, it's a mess with all of my worship songs. You guys have visited widows in this church, and, and we've been the people we call to ask for help. Then there's the fact that we traveled internationally for this. I was talking to someone the other day, and I said, I literally would take this piece of cake with me to my grave. We've gone to Nicaragua and swam in the ocean. We've boated upriver and dug out canoes and slept in hammocks in the jungle of Panama, right? That was a jaguar. It was a jaguar, right? It wasn't a dog with a cough. It was a jaguar. Jared, what about the Lakota? It's a dog with a cough. We ziplined through the jungle of Guatemala. We watched smoking volcanoes. We've eaten chicken fork soup. That was you, Ben, right? What's that? That's a chicken fork. That's what they say. We've eaten octopus. And we have eaten camp food in Bolivar, Missouri. Right? That's epic. But more than just the stuff that we've done, God has given you these four things. The first service, they didn't touch the food. <laughs> Cost four pounds. Each person felt like it added up. A lot of people on the first, I was like, man, once y'all graduated, like, there were other people in here, not saying y'all, just other people, they were like, man, I don't think so. So the first characteristic to live an epic life for the glory of God is endurance. Endurance. To live an epic life for the glory of God, you will need endurance. As we've mentioned, this is a milestone celebration. It's not a finish line. There's a huge difference, right? Kristen talked me into running a race with her last year. It took me 11 years, so it's holding up. I keep talking about it. I hit the halfway mark. I think it was like a one-mile race. I felt like a dummy. I see you guys, Lord. 
So I hit the halfway mark, and I was wishing it was the finish line, but it wasn't, right? Milestones and finish lines are very different things. Milestones are worth celebrating. You've had many milestones in the last 18 months, and I hope that your parents remember them well. Grandparents, I hope that they have family members that celebrate with you and are proud of you and love you. You've had your first kid. First kid. also had salvation, baptism. These are awesome milestones to be celebrating. The difference between a milestone and a finish line is the difference between winning and losing. In Hebrews chapter 10, then the author says this, you have need of endurance. The Bible speaks often of your need for endurance. But the reason that you have need of endurance is because the Bible also speaks that this world and the things of this world will wear you down and kill you. They will wear you out and beat you down. But endurance, the the definition of endurance is the ability to withstand wear and tear. It's the ability to withstand to endure. And so you, to live epic lives for the glory of God, will need endurance. Yes, this is a milestone, but it is not the finish line. Endurance refuses to give up when it gets hard. It refuses to look for the easy way out. Endurance does not settle, and it presses on. To live an epic life to the glory of God, you will have to have endurance. I love that in Ephesians 6, Then Paul is telling the the church of Ephesus, he's telling the Ephesians there, he says that you need to put on the armor of God. Why? Because the days are evil and this world will wear you down and kill you. So he says, put on the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, shod your feet with the the preparation of the gospel of peace. Take up the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. And he says, And having done everything to stand firm, having done everything to endure, he still gives one command. Endure. Endure. That there will be times in life where you just have to say, I'm going to stand. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to press on. I'm going. I'm going to endure. I'm not stopping here. I'm going to endure. you're about to embark on what may be the most dangerous journey statistics say that that for most kids when they leave their home church Third John, verse 4, then he says something that, that I have found to be so true. Seven years of doing student ministry, we've sent out a bunch of kids in life. And I can tell you one of my greatest fears is that I'm going to lose one of them. 
greater love than to hear about the fact that you are a God out of the earth and you love the world. We've walked through life together and there are things that are second characteristic that I want to leave you with is epic. To be epic for the glory of God, to have a life that's epic to the glory of God, then you have to have pursuit. Pursuit is the action of following. Jesus said in Matthew 16, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For you to live an epic life, you have to follow. But there's a whole lot of things that that are said, hey, come follow me. Come follow me. Stop your selfish pursuits. There's a lot of things in the world that say, hey, come on, follow me. Follow me. But the things of this world will not satisfy the thirst of your soul. Jesus says right there in that passage, he says, follow me. You have to pursue Christ. It's not going to happen on its own. It takes action. It takes movement. But you have to pursue. To be epic, you can't go where everyone else goes. You can't be lazy like everyone else is lazy. You have to be lazy like Jesus is lazy. The key to having an epic life is pursuit. Many of you have done this in salvation. I got to be there with a lot of you. We got to talk through that. But pursuing Christ doesn't stop at a milestone. It goes forward. Every day you will spend your life pursuing something. Have you ever thought about that? Every day you're pursuing something. For the rest of us, we spend our life pursuing something. But Jesus said that where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. So what do you love pursuing? To be epic, you will have to pursue different things than the world pursues. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6.11, He's talking to young Timothy, a young man in the faith, and he said this, that there's things in this world that want to snare you. They want to cause you harm. Things that your peers are going to spend their life chasing after. They give everything to chasing after this thing that no one else cares about. But he says this to young Timothy. He says, but as for you, As for you, O woman of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, prudence. Pursue Christ. Pursue godly friendships. Pursue a church family. Pursue truth. Pursue your faith. To be epic, you have to pursue something different. I remember as a kid, I was standing next to my dad in church, like lizard, 
and I was standing next to him, and he was wearing khakis. Khakis, and I was playing with something I had probably got in Sunday school, some little paper that had been given to me to remind me of the the Bible verses. Huge plug for the children's ministry. Like those papers actually help you to to teach, disciple your kids. But I was probably playing with something like that, and I was standing next to my dad, and the khakis started to walk away. So with my head down, I just started to walk with the khakis. We got to the the hall we're about to go outside and I looked up and I realized that my dad was in a different place with his left eye closed there was a moment of peace because I realized that the person I thought was my father was not really the person I thought was my father when I spun around and I ran Jonathan I ran back to my dad characteristic that I want you to to know to live an epic life to the glory of God is your identity. Your identity. Your identity is who you are and whose you are. To live an epic life for the glory of God, you will need to know who you are and whose you are. Your identity in Christ is key to living an epic life for the glory of God. People that don't know their identity spend their life trying to find people and things that will give them an identity. Something that will give them value and purpose. Something that makes life worth living. They bounce from sports to hobbies to friendships to careers. None of those things are bad. shortage of people on the internet to tell you how to dress, right? Y'all remember highlighter under armor days? We've got pictures to prove it, but y'all all wore that. Y'all were like matchy matchy, it looked like Marcus Hall. Different highlighter. There are people that will tell you how to dance, right? What? TikTok, hello? There are people that will tell you how to cut your hair. We all saw y'all flipping. We thought you had to quit for about three years. That's all y'all did. There's opinions for everything. But external actions don't tell the story. Galatians.
Galatians 2 says that there's a common temptation that we all have. Or we all have this verse is so profound. I teach at Gentle Camp in Cleveland. The first thing that I want you to see is that if you have confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then Jesus lives in you. That's what Paul says. Jesus lives in you. That's your identity. Who are you? Jesus lives in you. Your old self is gone. It's been crucified dead, gone. Jesus is alive. That's your identity. But the second thing that I want you to see in that about your identity is that that you are loved. That's what he says. Who the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus gave himself up for you. Why? the most beautiful love note ever written on the cross so that you would never question, does God still love me? what you do, no matter what you've done, God loves you. You are a beloved child of God. You belong to the family of God. This will set you apart. This will make you different. Because when you don't have to look to the world to find your identity, but you have the identity that Christ has given you and you live in that, the world will get confused. It's this identity that then leads Paul to say this stuff in Romans, right? This is not a guy who's looking to culture or people to give him his identity. Listen to what he says in Romans 8. He says, what then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You're loved. You're a child of God. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect, against God's children? Who shall bring a charge? It's God who justifies them. Who will condemn them? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. He says, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am 
sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Your identity is that you are a child of God and Jesus Christ lives in you. You are If you live this way, then there is no imaginable hope or path that God could give you. Like there's, n- there's no telling where God's going to take you, where you'll be, who you'll encounter, what God's going to do with you. There, there's no way that you can even fathom that. Paul says that, that, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived of God's plan for you and for me. Can't even know if you'll live or not. And so, this last question is this that I want to leave you with today Your calling is your vocation, your job. We meet people, we shake hands, we say, Hey, I'm so and so, and what do you do? Right? And now, that's how we get to know people. What do you do? Well, Jesus, before he left his disciples, before he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he gathered up his disciples. And he said, hey, I want to give y'all your calling, your vocation, your what do you do? And here's what he said. He said, go and make disciples. That's what he told them to do. Go and make disciples of all nations. Their calling was to make disciples. Now, how do you make disciples? disciple is a follower. And if you're pursuing Christ, then you can just say, like Paul said, hey, follow me because I'm following Jesus. That's how you make disciples. You make disciples. That's your calling. Seniors, you are to spend your days here on this earth making disciples of all nations. That is your greatest calling in life. Have you ever thought, why doesn't God just take us to heaven the moment that we die? Justin Jesus, let's go. Why does God not do that? Because he has a plan to use you. He wants to use you as ministers of reconciliation, as mouthpieces to proclaim what God does to broken people. To proclaim who their identity should be. job is to take the good news of the gospel to the people of every tribe and tongue and nation. That's the thing, right? Now parents, let's go. I'm not saying don't go to Bible. I'm not saying don't don't go to Votech, don't go to Career Path. I'm not saying just pack it all up, let's ship you overseas and you can tell people about Jesus and be a hypocrite. It's not what I'm saying. Your vocation is to make disciples. The place that you be and the people that you be with, that's your vocation. Will you pray? Father, we.
His calling gives you direction on how to live. That can be a test. That can be a Red Sea. That can be a Baylor, ULL, Laconia, Arkansas. It's going to be those things. It's going to be as engineers and doctors and musicians and physical therapists, lawyers, stay-at-home moms, dads, business owners, business leaders. It's going to be the in this context that our lives are changed. I want to leave you with this. This is good. One of my favorite memories that will forever be in my mind is early in ministry I stumbled into something each other together. We just did it. And the first year I did that, I was quick to say, hey, guys, guess what? That's how we're going to do it. This place is filled and we see the parade. But Jesus with his disciples, when, when he, he modeled this, when he brought us together, and so at camp every year we would have So we would break through the weirdness. We would break through the awkwardness. And sitting there, she was like, okay, we experience a lot of weirdness because things are weird. Middle school is real weird. Y'all are awesome when you grow up. But we would watch the news. So there was a point in the night where, like, I would wash a couple feet and Nadia and Lauren pray over them. And then they would pass it and it would go around the circle. So then I think it became something that, that we looked forward to. I know I did. That it was the night of camp where, where it was such a symbol of like, we're here for each other. We're hurting. We love each other. And so, what ended up being my last camp because of COVID happened, I needed to go. Jake, and and so my last camp with you guys, we were watching TV, and I watched Red Sea. That's such an awesome moment. I get to pray over students, speak life into them from God. What I saw God doing in them, the encouragement, the, the promises of God, the faithfulness of God, the cravings of God, calling them to himself. And I would always tell the students, I'm like, listen, when you're done, you're done. You, you're not more spiritual because you stayed to the last. Like, when you're done, just go back. Let people do business. Like, we see groups praying for each other. And I'm like, these students just kept sticking around. They didn't leave. They were like, I'm fine. 
Then there's a good hope. And they just kept sticking around, and, and then it got to this serious place. And I had to tell the truth. I think they knew the full extent, but it had been a hard year of ministry. I spent seven years pouring into you guys. A lot of basketball games, football games, a lot of church. And then to receive it, I mean, I didn't expect it. I was like, I'm not ready. These parents aren't like what they say. But in typical youth fashion, one of them, when praying for me, said, God, thanks for sending Blair to teach us about you. Because if he wasn't here, we probably just would have heard the same thing over and over again. We would have played dodgeball every week. Such a profound prayer, right? But to know the heart of that, to know better because of it, and for me to say I'm better because you are, but I would feel remiss if I didn't teach on this first point, right? You've got to at least talk about it once, and so I want to read it to you. Friends, for you to live a good life for the Lord, them to point them in your direction. God, thank you for the youth worker, the children's workers who every Sunday showed up, every Wednesday showed up, just to help, just to encourage them, to be an ear to listen. God, but more importantly, we thank you for what you've done in this year. We give you praise for that. God, that you have done a good work you're going to bring that work to completion. God, that as they launch out into this world, you have good plans for them. Plans to use them in incredible ways to advance your kingdom. For them to make an impact wherever they go. To make disciples wherever they go. God, help them to endure. Help them to pursue you passionately. Remind them of their identity. 